This NFL season, be your own GM. Be a winning GM. Turn this season into a fistful of epic wins by joining a Yahoo Fantasy Football League. Yahoo has spent the offseason making serious upgrades to enhance your experience. So when you play fantasy football on Yahoo, the wins are as epic as the season is long. Yahoo Fantasy is also the only app where you can manage all your season-long and daily fantasy teams in one place. Create or join a league now at yahoo.com slash the ringer fantasy football. We're also brought to you by Hotel Tonight. If you love to score amazing deals in incredible hotels, you'll love Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight partners with hotels to help them sell their unsold rooms, helping you find sweet deals at cool, top-rated hotels. Even though their name is Hotel Tonight, you can also book in advance for spontaneous weekend getaways, staycations, three-day weekends, road trips, business bookings, and more. It's easy. Book hotels in 10 seconds in just three taps and a swipe. Get the Hotel Tonight app now to start scoring amazing deals and incredible hotels. That's Hotel Tonight, the only booking app you need. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Robert Mays, joined as always by Kevin Clark. How you doing, buddy? Hot. Yeah, it is hot today. So last year we did our in-person training camp podcast in your apartment. Yes. We were uncomfortably close <laughs> in River North. And now we are at a live NFL training camp in Nashville, Tennessee, a beautiful place where I will see about 12 hours of things before moving on to further things further south in America. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to be watching football today. Yeah, this was fun. Uh, I was excited to come here. I think this is a fascinating team. We'll get into some of the things we saw at this camp, some of the things we've seen at others. But uh, the, the perils of the training camp tour are suitcases are only so large. And I only have so many pieces of clothes and doing laundry in the road is not easy. So I am out of clean shorts because I have to do laundry at my next stop in Missouri. And that led to me wearing black jeans in a night to a 95 degree practice in Nashville, Tennessee. I am sweating so much right now. It's kind of hard to communicate how disheveled I look. Uh, you don't have to communicate it to me. I can see it yeah, loud and clear, buddy. I know you can see it. I, there's some definite forehead sweat going on, but we're going to battle through because that's the type of show this is. So, Kevin, we've both been bouncing around. Uh, I came to Nashville from West Virginia where I saw the Texans practice. I was in Cleveland the day before that. You've been all over the place. We did this on our last show, and we're going to keep going with it because this seems like the most useful podcast time uh, at this point in the calendar. Let's talk about some of the takeaways we've had from the camps that we visited recently. Why don't you go first? What was your number one thing you noticed over the last week since we So, I know this is not... This is not an on-the-field thing, but I want to talk about it because I saw Albert Breer a couple of days ago, and he said, when you see this facility in Minnesota, you're going to be blown away. And I was kind of like, you know what? NFL facilities are, by and large, extremely simple things. Um, They are not like college. Everyone talks about these college you know, the the waterfalls or whatever. And only a handful of teams actually have those, uh, you know, in, in the NFL. In college, it's Clemson, Alabama. That's what they spend the money on. They don't give the players. And at the NFL <laughs> level, most of most teams have a very basic sort of office park. Um, not a lot of bells and whistles. I can't even describe to people or communicate to people how unremarkable some of these places are. I'm not going to name names, but there are so many of them. It's like, really? Like This is where an NFL team practices and spends its time? There are, most of them are like that, in my opinion. I would say a vast majority. And yes. so when I was in Minnesota, I sort of saw the future. And the future, in my opinion, is a sort of arms race where you're trying to get 
any advantage you can and you're going to spend tens of millions of dollars to do it because i think the star has that now i think the vikings has star that. is and staggering it, it all, all that needs to happen i i heard stories about these guys i don't know if they've said it publicly there are guys who took less money in minnesota because they were like you know what like this this negative 132 cryogenic chamber that's nice. Yeah. I'm going to use that. I mean, and I don't mean that it can be a couple teams have those, but there were just like 15 of those things where I was like, wait, what? Like an underwater treadmill that like calculates your body. I, mean, I, I, I've, I would guess I've been behind the curtain at maybe half of half of NFL teams facilities and the Cowboys and the Vikings are going to have a competitive advantage because of the things that exist, both sports science wise and analytics wise in, in, in those buildings. And it's not just about wooing free agents outside of your building. It's like you talked about. Think about the process the Vikings have had to go through in the past 12 months. The types of contracts they've had to sign. How Sam Bradford was before his time. What do you mean? Well, if he had just played there now instead of two years ago, he'd be 100% healthy. Yeah, he would have to Because they have an about underwater it. treadmill. It's the alien technology. Get, get him in that underwater treadmill. Everything's fine. But think about just how many guys they've had to bring back and how hard it is to walk that financial tightrope. And if you can skimp a little bit on a contract because a guy really wants to be a part of your franchise because you have these sort of resources that matters i mean that's how you are able to build a roster and retain some of these players when they are moving on to that second deal every single cent is important and if that's an advantage then it's an advantage most teams i think will try to find it was awesome i mean it, it was i'm excited to see it i'm going it's to awesome. later this week it's I, I i can't really i mean sports science in the future i i think it gets back to something that i've been thinking about a lot i'll probably write this at some point this is this is the nfl that chip kelly envisioned yes this is the nfl this is sports science man this is it's here this is analytics it, it's here chip chip like sam bradford was a few years too early um chip kelly died for this yeah and and i just think that we are entering a very interesting future uh of the nfl so let's talk about a couple of the spots we've been uh, on the field. I think that we both were in Cleveland. You wrote something from Cleveland. I kind of got a sem- similar vibe um, from the people that I talked to there. I mean, I-, I talked to Joel Batonio, who very strangely is one of the guys who's been there the longest now. I mean, there's aren't many players who've stuck with that team for the last three yeah, or four years. I mean, years. everybody's been there for six months. Like it, Baker Mayfield is exactly the longest right. tenured Brown. And, and it's odd. It, it, it creates... Uh, very unique environment. And I think that what I talked to Batonio about, and I'll probably write about this, is just how important stepping stones are when you were a t- like a dumpster fire of a football team. Yeah. Even winning five, six games would matter for the Browns just because at some point you need to be that version of an NFL franchise. And he's pretty much told me, he's like, we have all the talent we need. We don't need the number one pick anymore. We've got enough number one picks on this team. Now it's about showing just some signs of competency as you move forward. And I think that that's an underrated thing when it comes to the trajectory of an NFL franchise, just that middle ground year. And the Browns hopefully will have that this year. And I think that based on the conversations there and the vibe there, they feel like they're going to. Yeah, I mean, you have to get, Dorsey said this to me, he said you have to get a little bit better every single year. Yes. And, and okay, the vision is probably 2020, probably 2021, but the point is to get a little bit better in 2018 and 2019. Tyrod Taylor, people really, really like him. Yeah. And I, I just, you know, I think part of it is just he is a pro and exactly he knows right. exactly how to handle his business. And Baker Mayfield is a rookie. And we've talked about it in the past that their learning curve is steep. They're not going to run. Even if they take a lot of elements of Oklahoma's offense, they're not going to run Oklahoma's exact offense. There's There are a lot of things um, that, that you have to learn. And I just think that Tyrod Taylor is going to get you a couple wins. They're not going 0-16. 
either you know i i had a someone i trust the other day i'm not gonna i it they had no connection to the browns whatsoever someone i trust the other day in the sport told me he thinks that they're going to compete for maybe seven wins i think that's totally fair yeah I, well, I don't understand why that's not in the cards or why that's because well, they went 0 16 last year i guess so but here we've talked about this the biggest jump you can make is from a team that has bottom of the barrel all-time bad quarterback play to a real NFL quarterback. And that's, Petonio said that to me, and just the tone with which he said it, he's like, Tyrod Taylor played in the playoffs last year. He took the Buffalo Bills to the playoffs. The Buffalo Bills tried to make that not a thing. They tried to cut his feet out from under him by playing Peterman that, that one game, but he did that. Tyrod Taylor was a playoff quarterback a year ago. They would not have had to go through all that that journey, let's say, if they had not started Nathan Peterman. Yes, in well, Los who knows Angeles. they would be in San Diego anyway, but it's still one of those things. And the idea that like he's a real NFL quarterback, that is a massive jump. And I think that it's a weird middle ground. And the idea that you have the present because you have Tyrod Taylor, who is an NFL quarterback, and you have Baker Mayfield sitting there. And I think that there are some situations where that dynamic would be a problem. Yep. And it doesn't feel like it is a, it's a problem there. It doesn't feel like it's they're being tugged in two different directions. It just feels like there's kind of two separate timelines that are working in concert with one another. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think that, you know, just generally, we've talked about this, there's a basic competence throughout the league where everyone, because everyone's set a quarterback in some way, they at least have a plan. I think it's going to be hard for any team to go 1 and 15, 0 and 16 this year. Yeah. Because even, you know, I totally agree. if you look at just roster talent, someone, someone said the other day that, they think Seattle has one of the worst rosters in the league. Someone, someone put that out there the other day, and I don't, I think, don't think that's, that's true. I don't know that. I don't think that's well. Very no, far I off. think Russell Wilson, Doug Baldwin. I mean, I don't want to get into the Seahawks thing again, but like they've got they're top heavy to the point that the, they, it averages out to maybe where they're they're not the worst, but they're so. bottom ten roster. I think I think the world of Russell Wilson. All right, what else uh, stuck out to you? What, what other stop would you what, kind of want to hit on a little bit? Um, everybody's pretty high on Patrick Mahomes uh, in Kansas City. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of hype around that. I mean, I just think that, you know, I was on Peter King's podcast the other day and he said the one thing he's noticed about these young quarterbacks is every single person in the league at, at the GM position is 100% convinced they've got the guy. Yeah, it's and a that's weird what I thing. Think is, and, and what I think is a psychological thing for teams is that the quarterback is it if you're a GM. Like if you hit right on the quarterback, you'll have a job for 15 years or you'll get another job because you hit on the quarterback. And if you don't hit on a quarterback, your career is over and you'll never get another job, right? And so in most cases. And so I sort of think that it's a psychological thing where you are so convinced you've got the guy because the alternative is you're convinced you don't have the guy and that is so horrible to face because it means your entire livelihood is two years away from being taken yeah. away. I think that's a very interesting thing to hear guys talk about the quarterbacks they have on their roster. And, and even if it's an assistant, I mean, think about how many jobs Brett Favre got guys. Without Brett Favre, the entire coaching circle of, of, of coaching history has changed because Andy Reid, Steve Mariucci. Yeah, Andy Reid, yep. Mike, think about how you know, the careers Andy Reid has spawned even, since. Even all the jobs that Mike Holmgren got afterwards, yep. that was Favre. And so, you know, I, I just think that if you, a, a, a rising tide lifts all boats, and I think that if, you're, if you hit at quarterback, it changes everybody around you's destiny. So it's really fun to hear people start talking about a Mahomes or a Darnold in New York or somebody like that where they're just so excited and who knows if the hype is warranted. We'll find out in September, October, November, but I just think it's funny to listen to it in August. 
that's the vibe I got when I was at the Texans camp. It's just how much of a transformative influence a guy like Deshaun Watson is yeah. and just how it changes the entire feeling, atmosphere, attitude around a team at this point in the calendar. The Texans had never been in this position. They had signed Brock Osweiler and he was so much more of a long-term answer than anyone else they'd had. They were excited about him. Now imagine taking Deshaun Watson, who we've seen be excellent in the NFL, yeah. and putting him in that position. It really has people there feeling and thinking differently than they've ever thought about the franchise. And it, that's amazing. I mean, it, it really is just it transformative is the word. It, it creates an entirely new dynamic around your team. And it feels like a lot of teams are in that position, if not to that degree with Watson. Hey, do you know where Brock Osweiler is playing right now? Miami, correct? Do you know how I found that out? I saw an Twitter. Armando Salguero tweet. Me too. That's about, how I found out about that. About how high and bad his passes were. That's and incredible. I was just like, how does Brock Osweiler throw high passes? Shouldn't he have learned to just throw down, directly down? Just like by a, pure trajectory, it seems like that wouldn't be possible. Angle of attack. Shouldn't he have like an airplane coming down to land? Shouldn't he just know exactly where to throw the ball? Uh, yeah, it, but Brock Osweiler is a... A wonder of physics in a lot of ways, I guess I'd say. And finances. <laughs> so I, I want to talk one more, a little bit about my stop in Oakland. And I was up there for just a day and it was happened to be a day where Derek Carr was talking and, and he, he talked for a good 10 minutes. And I wrote about this this morning and just kind of the idea that for all the jokes we can make about the John Gruden era in Oakland, we really don't ha have any idea how it's going to go. And the way that Carr was talking, I found it fascinating because he was just discussing the way his day-to-day -day life has changed because John Gruden is the head coach. And he was very clear about how his feelings concerning Todd Downing and the guys that had been there. But it was more about how the room changes when your head coach is a quarterback-centric offensive mind. Yep. And he was just discussing how their dialogue is constant and during meetings. He'll just pepper him with questions. He's dreaming about John Gruden at this point, And he was not kidding. And I feel like that conversation extends to how quarterbacks can change at certain points in their career. Yep. Because while it feels like Derek Carr is a fully formed product because this is year five, he's not on a rookie deal anymore. He's one of those guys that needs to lift his team in order to squeeze value out of a $25 million a year contract. It's not out of the question that we'll see the best version ever of Derek Carr just because certain coaches can be really transformative influences on young quarterbacks no matter where they are in their career. Matt Ryan won a Super Bowl or went to the Super Bowl and won an MVP at age 30. Now, Rich Gannon was 37 years old. He does it kind of feel like the Falcons won that Super Bowl? Yes, I still feel like it. Yeah, it does. When, yeah. I, when I'm thinking so about that true. season, I'm like, oh, it's the Falcons. It's so the true. Falcons won that year. So it, it just feels like if Gruden is that influence, then this is going to be a success no matter what else yeah. happens. And I'm not taking that off the table because I just feel like we've seen it so many times when you bring in a coach like that, how much it can change who you are as a player. We saw the best version of Alex Smith last year, 14 years into his career. Okay, so the thing with Gruden that I think is is kind of fascinating is reading between the lines of everything he says and figuring out the Grudenisms because yeah. I, I want to be delicate here. Gruden, he just says certain things. This was true in Tampa, and it was true. I remember when I was at a when I was a kid. I went to Bucks press con a Bucks press conference in Orlando, and I you know like an actual kid, like or you yeah, were a kid I was like reporter. twelve. And I was oh, like twelve. Okay, I why were you there? It's a long story. Okay, and and I was there, and Gruden was talking about some wide receiver who went to Brown and is a cross player, 
And Gruden was talking this guy up like he was Jerry Rice. It's channeling Belichick. And I was just like, he's just some random. He's like, I call him the golden goose. And I'm just like, <laughs> this guy is my first NFL press conference ever. I wasn't covering it. I was just sort of standing nearby. As a 12-year-old, you weren't covering yeah. it? That's what I'm thinking. I was, like, I was like, uh, I was like, this whoever he's talking about is the future. And I don't think the guy made the team. And I certainly he did not make a dent in the league. And so I think this whole thing and 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 I think the biggest structural problem with being out of the league for a decade is just not doing everything to keep up with the trends and understanding the nuances. And and I understand he was part of TV and he was having meetings and stuff, but I just think feel like if you're not living it for a decade, there's a lot you can miss. That's a structural problem. The stuff he said doesn't bother me all that much unless it's 100% literal. Um, I do not want to bring politics into this, but there's a a, a line about taking it seriously, not literally, and, and perhaps vice versa. And there's a little bit of parsing there as far as what John Gruden means when he says we're going to take it back to 1998. Is he joking or not? And that's that's what I think is so fascinating. If he comes out in week one and him and Greg Olson are running you know, incredible RPOs and they're just running the Texas Tech and Oklahoma playbook and they're running you know the Philly special every third play, then guess what? He was just joking. I feel like the problem that I have, the concern that I have is more rooted on the personnel side of things than it is on the coaching side of things. If he really is taking a lot of control over the choices that they're making. And I think we already saw that with some of the draft picks they made. That's where this can go south in a big, big hurry. But I have more faith in how the coaching aspect of it can work out. Could it be a disaster? Absolutely. It's not hard to envision. Like I said, I wrote this morning, the doomsday scenario there. It's very easy to envision. But again, I think that the biggest aspect of what's going on there that we have to recognize is that we have no freaking clue how it's going to go. $100 million. $100 million. So... With him and Carr, I feel like where we're sitting right now in the practice we watched today and the overall situation in Nashville is similar in the sense that we saw Marcus Mariota have the worst season of his career last year. Now he gets a new quarterback or a new offensive coordinator, Matt Fleur, come in, a guy who has been a disciple of Shanahan and McVay and everything else. And now he is tasked with doing the exact same thing, with kind of bringing Marcus Mariota back in the same way that Gruden has to. So... What are you excited to watch with the Titans offense? What did you hear, see today that kind of has piqued your interest about where that relationship and where that offense is going to go? So first of all, Vrabel is pretending to still be a player out there, which I kind of enjoy. Yeah. You don't see it very often. You know, you see a couple, you know, Mike, Mike Zimmer was famous for sort of jumping in defensive back drills and messing around a little bit. Mike Vrabel actually gets into individual drills and just puts on a pad and just starts going at guys. Like, could you imagine, could you imagine like Jim Caldwell doing that? Yes. And it's hilarious. I would love to see that. I couldn't imagine it, just, but just, I would like to see it. Just doing one, just doing shoot drills yeah. with, with linebackers. <laughs> doing the Oklahoma, just doing Jim the Oklahoma, Caldwell. Oklahoma, he puts on a helmet. 80 pound guys. The best part, the best thing to visualize would just be if Caldwell just put on a helmet, but just kept on like the polo <laughs> and stuff and was just going against these guys in full pads oh, doing the Oklahoma drill or no helmet. Leather oh, helmet? No, helmet. Definitely leather helmet. helmet. That's funnier. Leather Speaking helmet? of helmet, leather helmet would be great. Speaking of helmets, I like the Titans' new helmets. The, na- the Navy ones, I like uh, them. Yeah, I, I didn't develop much of an opinion on it. You have to see them with the, with the rest of the... Agreed, but I like the dark better. Even just like the helmet change, I'm a fan of. I don't know how I feel about the jerseys yet, but I like the helmet switch. You like Malcolm Butler here? Yes. Me too. I, I mean, I feel like that was, again, that's the area of their team that needed the most We're work We're just last never going to find out no what happened no i'm surprised how many people are still asking i guess it's a necessary question but i've moved on 
I kind of in 10 I'm, years, I'm on to Nashville. There's a couple things where, because I did a story about the 07 Patriots last year. I did a story that ran today on the 08 Dolphins. We'll get there. Both of them are two of the most fulfilling things that I've ever done reporting-wise. And one of the things that, that I think about now is just what I'll be doing in the future. And one of those things, for instance, is I will definitely be doing a look back when there's some sort of anniversary on the 6-6 Seahawks Cardinals game. <laughs> that right, it was two years ago. We're just I know start, that's we're your, just starting the, the of your NFL career. We're just starting the clock on that, and I believe in nine years I'm just gonna be doing a, just an oral history mm-hmm. of all of the Malcolm people not knowing what happened to Malcolm Butler. Not, in the Super not Bowl. you don't want to do an oral history of why that happened. You no, want to do an oral I, history? Well, we're of never gonna asking know. About Malcolm we're Butler. never gonna know. I wonder when Belichick will say something about it. Never. You don't think he'll ever do it? No. Now when he's like 98 years old and he's just like, no. Because Belichick's going to live forever, I guess. So on his he's deathbed, he's coaching is the team. Redundant. At 98? Yeah. That's a good Steve point. Steve Belichick's going to be, it's going to be the, Steve Belichick will be the defensive coordinator, but in, not in title. He'll be a special <laughs> linebackers coach since Belichick doesn't do coordinators. Belichick anymore. just, well, yeah, he's, he's still going to st- be steadfast. Josh with McDaniels that will have taken and pulled out of six more jobs. <laughs> All right, uh, so we're going to talk about your Wildcat story and the rest of the 08 football season. Uh, But first, let's take a quick break. This NFL season, be your GM. Be a winning GM. Turn this season into a fistful of epic wins by joining the Yahoo Fantasy Football League. Yahoo has spent the offseason making serious upgrades to enhance your experience. Upgrades like easier scoring, new trophies, and a buttery smooth app experience. So when you come to play fantasy football on Yahoo, the wins are as epic as the season is long. But to get in on the wins, you have to get in on the season. Yahoo is also the only app where you can manage all your season-long and daily fantasy teams in one place. Create or join a league now at yahoo.com slash the ringer fantasy football. Hi, buddy. So you wrote about the Wildcat today. It's because it's 2008 week. At it's the 2008 week at theringer.com. And I think that one of the reasons that you know we were trying to figure out our season or preseason coverage, we wanted that year to be something we focus on is just because it was kind of a fascinating year for football. And there was so much stuff that kind of popped up during that year. And the Wildcat is one of the most memorable parts of it. And it's stuck in my brain. I, again, I remember sitting at an Applebee's in Columbia, Missouri, watching the Dolphins run the Wildcat against the Patriots. And it just really is burned into my brain. So I want to talk to you about the story in general, but I guess the first things first, of the conversations you had, what do you think was the most enlightening? Ooh, I mean, the best anecdote that I got and was unbelievable. It's in sort of the middle of the first section of the story is that they knew the Dolphins knew that the Patriots were so confused that they could run this trick play called a cross country and just score an easy pass touchdown, even if they're on the two yard line. Okay, they could have scored anywhere on the field. They could have scored a touchdown because the safeties just had no clue. And they were up 25 or 20. And David Lee says it's time for cross country. And Chad Pennington begged him not to do it because he didn't want to interrupt the score on the Patriots. And he knew, as did David Lee, they would go for a touchdown anywhere on the field. That was the drubbing. That's incredible. And so they just waited two weeks, and they finally ran the play. And it was a 53-yard Patrick Cobbs touchdown in which the defense, had, again, had no idea what was going on. And he was so open that when David he, Pennington underthrew Cobbs, and he had to stop, collect himself, get the ball, and keep running. So then David Lee goes over to Chad Pennington and says, how did you underthrow that ball? And Pennington says, I have never seen someone so open in my life. And I literally didn't know how to react. His, his like, system short-circuited. Yeah, he was just yeah. like, what am I looking? I have no depth perception yeah. right now. Like, Why is that guy so open? 
That's great. And that's why the throw was bad because the guy was too open. And that was the Wildcat. And I think the legacy of it is that it was the first time it, no one runs the Wildcat now. It's not, it's the legacy of it is not the Wildcat itself because running backs don't play quarterback. Okay. The legacy is rolling in Arkansas tape. Yeah. And showing these guys, hey, this is a college offense and we're going to do this. Four years later, three years later, Auburn's offense comes to Carolina and Baylor's offense goes to Mike Shanahan and Kyle Shanahan with RG3. And you start to realize there's a sort of an upward trajectory. Patrick Cobbs told me this. He said, everybody used to steal a level up. Yep. College is steal from pros. High school is steal from college. And now that's not the case. Now the everybody steals from everybody. College is where the innovation comes from. And high school and, in a lot of ways. And high school in a lot of ways. I'm writing about that. And I think that it started in large part there because guess what? It worked. Tony Sperano told David Lee, this is not a pro football offense. Well, guess what? That's the whole point. And I think that there's, you know, the 07 Patriots had so much to do with the influence of the modern passing game. But I think a lot of the stuff we see, especially in the run game, especially just stylistically started with those those 08 Dolphins. 08 to me is a season I just remember really well. I guess it's because of how old I was. So I was 20, you know, when that draft happened. I remember watching that draft in London, actually. I was at the American what Sports Bar near doing? Piccadilly Circus in London. And I, I wanted to watch the draft. And that draft, the reason I remember it so well is because it was really weird with how many linemen went in the first round. That was the draft where it was Jake Long. My guy. Ryan Clady. Uh, Jeff Otaw. The the guy that the Bears drafted, whose name I forget because I've tried to forget as often as can, Chris Williams. Um, it so a ton of Sam Baker was that year. So it, it just there were so many offensive linemen drafted, and their fates just were so scattershot that I just really remember that well. And the other part I remember, speaking of Sam Baker, that was the year that really transformed the Falcons. If you consider the mm. fact that was the season that Thomas Dimitrov got there, mm-hmm. Matt Ryan is drafted. You know, we talk all the time about that Dolphins team and how much they rebounded after the 1-15 season. But the 07 Falcons were a, a disaster. Just an absolute disaster. And then you bring in Dimitrov, you draft Matt Ryan, and it changes the entire fate of the franchise. Now, I don't know what you mean about the 07 Falcons being a disaster. They just got abandoned by their coach randomly in the middle of the night, and their starting quarterback went to prison. Uh, it seems like not a great year. The worst season? Like the most like everything goes wrong season for an NFL team in our lifetime, you think? I think that those two the on the on I mean the the 07 Dolphins were right there and without the jail time. <laughs> I think the jail time is a pretty the key jail part time of this. is a key part of it, but the, the Dolphins in two, the season of two thousand seven also got abandoned by their coach for college. They hired Cam Cameron, who is a bottom five NFL head coach in my lifetime. Just the worst. Just the absolute And the fact worst. that he got multiple shots as an offensive coordinator after that just baffles me. I remember one of my colleagues when I when I was working down there when I was in college. So the Cam Cameron was the only person in the world who had who had a mixture of an everyman like I'm I'm every man and also had a smartest guy in the room complex and it collided what in a, a way. Combo. It collided in a way that was just so awkward and unbelievable where he'd come up and be like, I'm just like you guys, but also I am so much smarter than you guys. And he really wasn't. So many ISO routes. So, so he, I, I once heard a story about how he, before a season, took, this is not in the wildcat reporting, this is completely separate, that he took his, some of his position coaches in a room and drew a huge circle and then a little dot and said, 
see this huge circle? That's what I know about football. See this little dot here? That's what you know about football. Good. That's a really good way to kind of nurture your staff. I'm not sure that's ever been written. I heard that from a from a guy who was in the room. I um probably just wasted a good anecdote. Yeah, you that's really what did. we do here. Drop it on the podcast. What was I gonna do with that anecdote? That's probably true. What was I gonna do? The Super Bowl that year. Steelers Cardinals. Yeah. The most entertaining Super Bowl that you can remember? Or do you think that the ones recently have no, jumped? I mean, the that? Fa- Falcons Eagles is the best ever. Falcons Eagles? When did they I'm play? I'm sorry. Falcons Patriots. I just combined the last two NFC. There oh, was the, a Falcons Eagles last, game. The last two Super Bowls are fair yeah. because those are they were both incredible. So if you just have me saying Falcons comma Eagles, I was referring to the last two, two Super Bowls, even though I wasn't doing that. I that, that, was, that was what was popping up in my mind. I think that there's been some sense that have definitely given that a run, but it was an amazing game. And what I really remember from that playoffs in general, I don't think we appreciate 10 years later how truly dominant Larry Fitzgerald was over the course of those playoffs. Totally. It was that stretch and those few games. I can't remember a receiver reaching that level. I think Julio had a really good playoffs a couple years ago. I think about what he did to the the Packers. But I just, the way that Larry Fitzgerald seemingly took over every single game and almost single-handedly won some of those games for the Cardinals. And rejuvenated Kurt Warner's career, which is very important because we we needed Kurt Warner back into relevance. Kurt Warner does not make the Hall of Fame if he doesn't have that season Without in Arizona. A doubt. And I think that that's a credit a lot a lot of credit to Larry Fitzgerald. And if this is the last season that Larry Fitzgerald plays, if this is the swan song, and it kind of sucks that they won't be very good and they probably won't be very relevant if it is his last season. But in my mind, that is the version of Larry Fitzgerald that will forever be cemented in my mind. It is his legacy. The fact that at the highest level in the biggest games, he was able to make NFL players, real NFL players, look like they had no fucking clue what they were doing. It's awesome. I, and there's there's only a handful of guys who do that. And you know, I, I, I don't want to go back to the Wildcat here, but I will for a second. That's sort of the beauty of what we saw in that Patriots game. It's kind of fun. It's kind of fun to see an NFL team, especially the Patriots, just have no clue. Yes. And it's like, hey, NFL players, they're just like us. You know, I, I got an anecdote from one of the guys, that Mike Vrabel, who's, who we both talked to earlier today. He was yelling at them, play real football, because that was the only reaction. That's congrats. Oh, that, so that great. I love that. I love that. And yeah, there's no, there's no other way. So, and another thing that from the 08 that I want to chat about just briefly, I'm actually writing about it for this week. I think the safety position is in such an interesting spot right now in terms of value, in terms of the way it's kind of looked at compared to other defensive positions. Kenny Vaccaro is here. He just got signed this week after going in the entire offseason without a job. I tried to do a story about how they were they killed the labor market at safety. And then the second day of my reporting, Trey Boston signed, and I just decided to stop doing that. Well, it, the fact that they had to wait so long to get signed even. Sure. And that, that market does seem like it's separating from the corner sure. market in a way that doesn't necessarily well, make I, sense. I talked to Malcolm Jenkins about it and he thought that it was it was just a one-year blip. It's a blip. Because yeah. Eric Berry got signed. Malcolm Jenkins makes a lot of money. I would some more things from people. I would group Earl Thomas in with that because Earl Thomas is the best safety we've had in the last decade and nobody will trade a high pick for him. And no, he, he won't get an extension. Right. I've asked, I asked Tyron Matthew about Earl Thomas. I asked Kevin Byer today about Earl Thomas and I think that they're kind of in the same mode where there's like what is happening if Earl Thomas can't get paid what are the rest of us going to do yeah. but it's been I, I think that it is a blip I think it'll be fine it, the way that Tyron said it to me and I think he was correct and I'll put this in what I write is that they just need some momentum to build up at the position because all the guys that 
had been getting paid or were some of the better players in the position have got hurt recently. Mm -hmm. So you haven't had guys string together a lot of good seasons, which I think is actually a really good point. But the reason that that's connected to 2008 is because we're 10 years removed from a time where two safeties were probably the best two defensive players in the NFL. I mean, you think about what Ed Reed did that year. He had nine interceptions. He had two touchdowns. What Paul Malu was that season for Pittsburgh. And it just feels like that isn't the case anymore. Safeties are no longer the best defenders in the NFL. And maybe that's well, a blip in 08 in talent. And maybe that's a blip right now in talent. So there's a couple of things I want to talk about. Number one, the pass rushers became so insanely good yep. that it's hard for a safety. I mean, it, let's say that, that we're in some alternate world and Von Miller and J.J. Watt and Khalil Mack and Donald. Donald don't exist. Well, we're probably talking about Earl Thomas as the best defensive player. You know, I mean, it's just, there's just there was just a critical mass of pass rushers. And a lot of that sure. is just, it's the trends of the game. I mean, if you are a... If you are a six four guy who can have a body that will do anything, you can play any position, not safety, but you can play a lot of different places. Okay. And because pass rushers became the most important and most paid position outside of quarterback, a lot of guys just gravitated there when they were 14 or 15 years old. And I just think that that is sort of how the game went. And so we just view those guys as super duper stars. They're still the superstars at safety. There's not like the defensive linemen who are just, those guys are a miracle. And they affect the game on every play in a way that a guy at safety can't necessarily. But Without I still think that right now, the way the game is played, how the middle of the field is used, how many teams are using tight ends as slot receivers, just the way that the best offenses in football are attacking that area between the numbers. I feel like there are more demands on safety than there ever been. And I think that they can be more valuable than they've ever been. And that's kind of why this disconnect yeah. is strange for me. You know, there's a, there's a neutralization that goes on. You can't just knock the crap out of the guy anymore. Yes. You cannot the rules knock have the also crap changed out of the it. guy. I remember writing four years ago, people saying, Jerry Gray was defense coordinator here, right? About 15 feet away from us. We, we had a conversation and he was like, teams are going to start game planning to go over the middle of the field because you cannot have the safety play. You look at Ed Reed, you look at Troy Polamalu, what could they do? When I was doing the helmet rule story in March after the rule was passed, I found a quote from Troy Polamalu that was like, if they keep doing this, it's flag football. Or the game has already been ruined, et cetera, et cetera. That was from 2008. 10 years ago, before the rules actually changed. Yeah, yeah. and it's like, well, what are you going to do now if you thought the game was ruined 10 years ago? If yeah. you're Troy Polamalu. If Troy Polamalu was born in 1993, you'd have a very different career. All right, before we move on, let's take one more quick break. Hiring? Every business needs great people and a better way to find them. Something better than posting your job online and just praying for the right people to see it. ZipRecruiter knew there was a smarter way, so they built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for, identifies people with the right experience, and invites them to apply to your job. These invitations have revolutionized how you can find your next hire. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications you receive, so you never miss a great match. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. Businesses of all size trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. Right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerNFL. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerNFL. ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerNFL. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Let's chat about, I just want to hit on a couple Titans things before we get out of here because I think that 
this is a team that I'm really curious to watch. I think it has to do with what they're going to look like offensively. We just went on the radio in Nashville earlier with Paul Kaharski talking about some of this stuff, and I think that I want to talk about it a little bit more. I am fascinated to see what this version of what Matt LaFleur's offense is going to look like and how it compares to what McVay and Shanahan have done because we see this just with the way coaching hires happen. You have these guys that are these wunderkind offensive minds in Shanahan and McVay, and the trend is going to be that the people are in their sphere are going to get these chances. But two things about that. One, we don't necessarily know what imprint schematically LaFleur is going to have in his own offense. And two, there's no guarantee that he's going to be anything close to what Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan are because what those what makes those guys great is not X's and O's. It's not how people line up. It's not play designs. It's having a feel for play calling rhythm and how to see the game three-dimensionally. And that is not something you can necessarily teach. I just want to let you know that after like 6,000 miles in a car, my legs no longer work. Yeah, that that's just some good. personal news. Yeah, I, I my body is rejecting me right now. Okay, so... The young coaches thing is fascinating because you got into this a little bit with Matt Nagy too. It's really hard to predict who out of a tree is going to become successful Correct. and who's not. I think, speaking of 2008, if you were to place bets on the greatest ever Belichick success- successor, Eric Mangini would have, would have been off the board. I mean, Eric Mangini like the king of the world. And... That just didn't develop for him. He didn't have the people skills and he took a bad job in Cleveland. And, you know, if you were to predict ahead of time who was going to come out of that Belichick tree, he'd be one of them. Um, I mean, I think that how do we view Charlie Weiss's career? Pretty, pretty okay for a little bit. It was fine. It was forgettable. At Notre Dame? Yeah. Remember when uh, people thought he was, well, whatever, he was a Chiefs coordinator, came back. Yes. Very briefly. People thought he was going to take Todd Haley's job. And then he went to Kansas. Wasn't that just to get his son a job? I, I don't know. I don't want to get a fight with Charlie Weiss. Not a, not a fan. He was a Florida. He was a, he was a Gators coordinator. He was a Gators offense coordinator, yes. Wow. I think his career is fine. I, I don't, the fact that we're having this discussion really speaks to how few Belichick disciples have had success. No, but what I'm saying is, is that, but, but it would not surprise me if Matt Patricia did. Now, Matt Patricia is not particularly high on the list of people who, are, who came out of that tree. Yes. And, but yet I just, it is so hard for me to under, to, unless you're in the building and you've thoroughly researched it, it is so hard to know who was responsible for what schemes. Was Bill Belichick actually in charge when, when the defense played well and was Patricia in charge when it didn't play well? I just think that it's so, the hardest thing in football with a coaching hire is to elevate a guy who maybe hasn't had responsibility and figure out what he can do. And that's what's happening here because he went from Sean McVay, who is a hands-on offensive coach, who was literally in Jared Goff's ear before the snap. And now he's with a defensive head coach who's going to be on the defensive side of the ball. He's in linebacker drills, as we talked about. He's in a regular old Jim Caldwell. He's going to have a lot of autonomy early, at least. And Matt Fleur is, is going to do that. You know, it reminds me a little bit. Uh, and this is just systematically. This is, he does not remind me of this person. I would I would not make this comparison. But the Jets left Brian Schottenheimer to his own devices because Rex Ryan didn't care about offense. And at the time, Brian Schottenheimer was well thought of. I think he turned down the Bills head coaching job, or at least they wanted to talk to him and he would have gotten it. And I just think that you have so much responsibility that it can either be incredibly good or it can go south real fast. And that's, that's what I think is interesting to watch when that kind of thing happens. 
what I want to see is what elements of those offenses make their way to Tennessee. And I think that what I saw today, you already see some of the first rumblings of that. They were doing a lot of play-action-specific drills. Even in 11-on-11, I was seeing a lot of play-action throws. Mariota was the most effective play-action passer in the NFL last season. They need more of that, and that's exactly what the Rams and the Falcons have done over the last couple of years. Two, it's about how they use these personnel groupings because there was so much 11 personnel with the Rams last year, but LeFleur said today essentially that that was by necessity just based on the players they had in the room. Now he comes to a team that's really spent the last couple seasons making their personnel very big. You have a lot of mm-hmm. tight ends, running backs, fullbacks. That's what Atlanta liked to do, throw out of 13 personnel. Is that going to happen? So I think him trying to take the best elements of the past two stops he's been at and mix and match them in order to find his version of this offense, if that happens in a streamlined way, then this offense can be pretty damn good. I think we can see a version of Mariota that we've never seen before. Best guess. What does this team do this year? I think they can... I honestly think they can win 10 games in the best version of it. I think that they can be a playoff team. But they were a fake playoff team last year. A very fake playoff team last year. I don't understand that. Are you just saying that like two teams in every conference were a fake playoff team? No. The NFC had it. Like eight playoff teams. Should we just award playoff spots just retroactively to NFC teams? That's what we tried to do last year. I wanted to put more NFC teams in the playoffs because the Titans didn't deserve to be in. Dude, remember when everybody was like, oh, the Chargers should be in this game and then the Titans beat the Chiefs? Yeah, that's the Chargers still should have been in that game. It doesn't matter. I'm so tired of this Chargers thing. Then they should have less talent if you don't want people. Oh, to keep oh yeah, they've about done that. so. They have so much talent. They can't stop not making the playoffs. They have a ton of talent. You're great, phenomenal. They're just hurt every single I just single love. Year. I just love to read about all their talent that they have for the past 15 years. I think they've had a lot of talent the last two years. They've had a lot of talent the last 15 years. I don't have anything personally against anybody in Los Angeles. I don't care. I don't, I don't even, I've been to, I think two practices my entire life because they've been either, they were on the, the West coast in San Diego for so long. And I wasn't really around them, but I just think this idea that there's like the most exciting team in history and they should be gifted playoff spots. It just drives me up a wall at full strength. They have one of the most talented rosters. Phenomenal. Guess what the Eagles did last year. They stayed healthy. No, 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 no. They won a Super Bowl with a backup quarterback and a backup left tackle. That's right. So, that's yeah, that's no, no, no. So, I guess... Uh, well, that's... The oh, no, at full strength. Guess what? At full strength, what would they have done? Won three Super Bowls last year? The Eagles? The Eagles are an exception. Oh, I mean, they, no, they're an exception they, because they, they don't make excuses. Exception. They don't make I mean, excuses. I mean, I don't think it's about making excuses. Mm. I, I think that the Chargers' problem is, has been injuries. And you think that you saw them at pretty much complete at the end of the season last year they were one of the best teams in the nfl i mean they they are when when they're going and when they have guys around they're one of the most talented teams in the league period that's why people are excited about them i'm kind of the more i go into football the more i buy into the bill parcells you are what your record says you are i'm yeah, sort of i, I don't it. really buy into that I buy no into okay no and there's more there's more highfalutin ways to analyze a game than wins and losses there is oh yeah no i got it all right that's all we got bud i uh it was good to do this sitting next to each other instead of having to do it on the phone in a you're car. Gonna, you're going to forget your keys. You drop them down there. I'm not going to forget them. I uh, need them to leave. This is why I'm telling you right now. My stuff is strewn about. I'm not the best version of myself. It's been a long couple. Like It's been a long week. I'm getting a second wind. I'm getting energy. There it is. All right. Uh, we will be back next week to chat with you guys more about camp. As always, thank you so much for listening to the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. They have so much talent. They can't stop not making the playoffs. See this huge circle?
That's what I know about football. See this little dot here? That's what you know about football. Good. If you love to score amazing deals in incredible hotels, you'll love Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight partners with hotels to help them sell their unsold rooms, helping you find sweet deals at cool, top-rated hotels. Even though their name's Hotel Tonight, you can also book in advance for spontaneous weekend getaways, staycations, three-day weekends, road trips, business bookings, and more. It's easy. Book hotels in 10 seconds in just three taps and a swipe. Get the Hotel Tonight app now to start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels. That's Hotel Tonight, the only booking app you need.